We're continuing a series, and we're calling it The Simple Life. And we've kind of talked about how our lives can be very complicated and complex, and we're complex people, so when we're in relationship with other people, that makes it complicated and complex as well. And then we also worship a very, like, an amazing God, but also a complex God. There's a lot to know about him. We were in a series before this uh, that Pastor Jeff was leading us through all these different things that we need to know and believe about God. So we decided just to kind of scale it back a little bit and focus in on just some principles about our lives as followers of Jesus. So we boiled it down kind of this, these three things, our commitment, our calling, and our mission. That's the series we're talking about. The simple life is about our commitment to God, the calling he's given us, and then the mission to the world. And Pastor Jeff, last week, he, I just thought he did an outstanding job talking about our commitment to God and what, that's it, what that is. I love hearing Pastor Jeff teach. I'm sure you guys do too. He really is just like a wealth of knowledge, very gifted communicator, and I think we're very lucky to have him week in and week out here. So we talked about commitment last week. This week we're going to continue the series and we're going to focus in on our calling, our calling, or what is it that God has designed us to do? What does God want us to do? What has he called us to do in this life, on this planet? And that word calling, it might even seem, it might even seem weird to some of us. I know it can seem weird to me sometimes or, or hard, to, hard, to, hard to understand, uh, but I do think our calling is extremely, extremely important. It's, it's important to know our calling And not only know our calling, but to embrace our calling, to move forward with that calling in life. And this is the reason. We can pop it up on the screen. I really believe this, this statement here. If we don't embrace our calling, if we don't embrace our calling, our lives will be ordinary. If we don't embrace our calling, our lives will be ordinary. And I know know when I hear that, about my life being ordinary. It really doesn't sound that bad most of the time, right? Like with all the, all the trials and struggles and the ways we hurt each other in life and the different things we go through and the complexity of life. Sometimes I, I do think we long a little bit for an ordinary life. But I think deep down, I know it's true for me, I'm sure it's true for all of you here, deep down, we really desire a life that isn't, isn't ordinary, we desire a life that's, that's bigger than ourselves. It, it's, it's, it's about something bigger than just us and our little family and the things that are right around us. We desire something bigger than that. We want something that outlives us. We want something that after we're dead and gone and we're with Jesus in heaven is still impacting generation and generation to come. If we don't embrace our lives, our calling, our lives will be ordinary. I think another thing too, if we don't embrace our calling, if we don't know what our calling is and we don't begin to embrace it, what will happen because the way we're designed as human beings is we'll just embrace and throw ourselves at something else, right? So if we don't embrace our calling, like I love sports, this is probably what I would do. I would just spend all my time playing sports. So I'd end up being the guy that, you know, I, I play sports every night of the week and on the weekends, and then I'm always, I have like 15 different ESPN channels, and I watch them all at the same time. And I know every stat about every sports figure who's ever lived, no matter what team they played for. So we might turn into that. We might give ourselves to that. We might give ourselves to our hobbies. We might spend all of our energy, and we might dream constantly about, and all of our focus and all of our vision might get put into our hobbies, whatever those might be. We might put everything we have into work. We might put everything we have into our image. So what people think about us, what our body looks like, what our house looks like, what our car looks like. We might put everything we have into getting that promotion at work. If we don't embrace our calling, we'll give ourselves to those things 
and our lives will simply be ordinary, which deep down isn't really what we want, is it? I think it might be helpful just to define calling for a couple minutes for us. Um, so I did what, you know, all the, the proper research says to do, and you just look it up online. And this is what I found from Webster's Dictionary Online. They, they said this. They said, calling is a strong inner impulse. So something that comes from the inside, a strong inner impulse toward a particular course of action. So it's an impulse from inside about something I should go do, right? A strong inner impulse toward a particular course of action, especially when accompanied by a conviction of of divine influence. So it's saying it's an impulse that comes from inside to go do something and maybe connected to God or a higher power or something like that. And I actually like, I like that definition. I think, I think it's pretty good, but I think it could go further than that. And this is the definition I came up with. Mine is this, very simply put, calling is our God-given purpose in life. Calling is our God-given purpose in life. So it's more than a feeling. It's more than just something that comes internally from us. It's our God-given purpose in life. It's something God created us to do, something God designed each and every one of us who's a follower of Jesus to do and to accomplish with our lives. That's our calling. God created us for it, and it's for the specific purpose he's given us in life. If you guys could open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, we're going to look at a passage about calling. And if you don't have a Bible, you can actually pop up your hand right now. And we have a bunch of Bibles at the back table there. Someone will bring you one. If you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up in the air, and they'll bring you one. But yeah, go to Acts chapter 9 in your Bibles, or you could do it on your smartphone, your iPad, or whatever you have there. And the story, story we're going to be looking at tonight is just this guy named the Apostle Paul, which a lot of you have probably heard of before. He wrote most of the New Testament, or a lot of the New Testament. And we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul's, his conversion to fo- become a follower of Jesus and his calling to his new mission in life. That's what we're going to be looking at, the Apostle Paul. But before he was named the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul before he came to know Jesus, his name was Saul. And I just want to tell you a little bit about Saul. If you think of Saul, probably one of the easiest ways to kind of explain what Saul was like is Saul is the dude who had everything. He had everything. He had been trained by the top scholar in his day. So he had the equivalent of a, of a, of a master's degree or maybe even a doctorate from Harvard or Princeton or Yale or one of those places. That's, that was the guy we're talking about. He was educated. He had money. He had power. He was, a, he was a religious leader, so he had all kinds of power. And along with that religious uh, leadership back then, he also would have had tons and tons of political power. So Paul had it all. He was trained by the best. He had all the best education. He had money, power. He was a leader. And that's where we're going to be picking up the story in Acts chapter 9. Just one more thing that's good to know before we, we jump into the text. What's happening at the beginning of Acts chapter 9, so, so Saul is this religious leader, and what he's done, he's kind of taken it upon himself to wipe out Christianity from the face of the earth. So at this time, Christianity was growing like crazy. Jesus had already left the scene and gone back to heaven, and the Christians were growing kind of like bananas. So Saul took it upon himself as a, as a Jewish religious leader to go out and snuff the Christians out. So what he did is he went to the high priest and he asked for letters of permission to go track down all the Christians and either imprison them or we know in some cases to oversee their murder. So that's where we're going to pick up the story. Acts chapter 9. And we're going to read verses 1 through 15. So I'll start. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. 
He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so if he found any there who belonged to the way, if he found any followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So that's how it starts. So Saul is heading to Damascus with permission to find and imprison followers of Jesus. That's where the story picks up. He's looking for, he's on his way to Damascus on this road, looking for followers of Jesus. In verse 3, Everything changes for for Saul, right? Listen to what it says. As he neared Damascus, as he got closer to the town where he's going to go find Christians, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So we have Saul. He's on his way into the city called Damascus, right? And he's looking for followers of Jesus to imprison them and maybe even kill them. And all of a sudden, literally, like a flash of light, everything changes for him. And you think about, you think about that situation for Saul. Everything that he had, he had given his life to, everything that he had focused on, it was chasing down followers of Jesus and snuffing them out from the world. And all of a sudden, he met Jesus face to face, and it all changed. Imagine how his perspective must have been rocked through that. Verse 7, the men traveling with Saul. So Saul was important, so he probably had some sort of posse with him. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see, so he was blind. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple that's a follower of Jesus named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So right after, this, right after the story, when Jesus appears to Saul, and then he's blinded, Jesus also appears in a vision to a, one of his followers named Ananias. And he looks at Ananias and he says, Hey, I want you to go find Saul, and I want you to heal him. Okay, and you imagine what Ananias is thinking. Saul was pretty well known because he was chasing the Christians down, trying to put him in prison, and even murdering them sometimes. Listen, listen in verse 13 to Ananias' response. He says, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So Ananias is like, Jesus, are you, are you absolutely certain? You want me to go help Saul out? You know this is the guy who has permission and is like actively seeking out people like me to put him in prison and to kill him, right? He's like, you sure you, sure you want me to do that? And this is what, how Jesus responds, verse 12. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Go. This man is my chosen instrument. You see, it really didn't matter anymore what Saul had done in his previous life. 
All the sins he had committed. You can't, you can't imagine anything really worse than killing followers of Jesus. You know, all the sins he had committed, all the hateful things he had done, overseeing the murder of followers of Jesus. It didn't, it didn't matter anymore because he had a new life now. He was converted to a follower of Jesus. And along with that conversion also came a very specific calling on his life. And if we were to read further about Saul, whose, whose name is now Paul, we would see that he took that calling very seriously. And he went on to plant tons and tons of churches. And, and he wrote quite a few of the books in the New Testament. So, so Saul was on this one direction, this one path in life where he's chasing down Christians, trying to wipe them out from the face of the earth. He meets Jesus. And he's not only converted, he's not only given salvation, he's not only given heaven as a reward, right? He also changes the direction of his life and goes out and starts leading people to Jesus on a regular basis. And I think when I read, when I read that story about the Apostle Paul, I get, I get really excited. I don't know about you guys. Just the power that Jesus has and the change that can come on someone's life. But it also brings up this question for me. When I read that text, this question comes up for me. What is our calling as followers of Jesus? What is our calling as followers of Jesus. And it's important. that The answer to that question is important because remember we said this. We said this. If we don't embrace our calling, our lives will be ordinary. So if we, first we have to know what our calling is to embrace it. And then if we don't embrace it, our lives will just simply be ordinary. And that's not what we want. And I think this is the answer to that question about what is our calling. Our calling as followers of Jesus Christ is to be ministers of reconciliation. Our calling as followers of Jesus Christ is to be ministers of reconciliation. And that word reconciliation, it really just means making things right again. Putting things back in place how they should be. Fixing something that's broken. And that's our calling, is to be ministers of reconciliation. So what God has called us to do, anyone anyone here who's a follower of Jesus, he's called us to look at the people around us, to look at the people in our natural path of life, the people we work with, the people we go to school with, the people that are our neighbors, our family members, our friends. And our calling as followers of Jesus is to help reconcile or restore their relationship to Jesus. That's what a minister of reconciliation is. Paul talks about this actually over in 2 Corinthians. If you guys want to flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is Paul that we were talking about. Remember he was Saul, came to know Jesus, became Paul. He got a new name and a new calling on his life. And this is what he writes a little bit, little bit further down into his calling into his ministry about ministers of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll do verses 16 through 21. Paul writes this. So, from now on, and we'll just stop there for a second. When he says from now on, he means, he means we used to do something different. Right? But from now on, like we used to do this, But now on, going forward, we're going to do something differently. So from now on, we regard or we see or we view no one from a worldly point of view. We don't look at anyone from a worldly point of view. And and think about your neighbors for a second. I don't know if you live in a neighborhood or a town or or what that's like for you, but how do we view our neighbors? We're not supposed to view them from a worldly point of view anymore. It isn't, no longer is it about what they look like or what kind of car they drive or what kind of house they live in. 
or how well they mow their lawn, or maybe how often the cops get called on them. You know? That's not what it's about. That's not how we're to view people. We no longer regard people from a worldly point of view. We regard them, we view them as human beings who have souls that will spend eternity either in heaven or hell. We view them as Jesus views them. Verse 16 again, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. I love this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that means, that means anyone here who's a follower of Jesus has put their faith in Jesus. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. So just like we saw in the story of Saul to Paul, the old is gone for Saul now. It's all forgotten, right? And the new has come, and he's given a new calling in life. Verse 18. All this is from God. So it starts with God, who reconciled us, that's you and that's me, to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So it started with God. So we sinned. You guys know, a lot of you know this. We fell short of God's glory and we were separated from God. So God looked down at us and he said, how can we fix this? He sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins and to be our minister of reconciliation. So Jesus came and reconciled. He restored our relationship back to God. And then it says in the second half of verse 18, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So in the same way that Jesus made a way for us once again to have proper relationship with God, we're to do the same things with the people around us. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's us. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. That's you and that's me. We're, we're sent ones from God. God has sent us out and we're the ambassadors to those around us. We're the ambassadors to people in our natural path of life. As though God were making his appeal through us. And I think we need to take that like in a literal sense. Sometimes we, we're like, oh, you know, like I'll just, I'll just live a good life and have a nice haircut and, and dress nice. And, and, you know, people will kind of like come to Jesus through osmosis. Maybe they'll just see what I do. But I think it's, it's meant to be taken literally. It says this, as though God were making his appeal through us. That's literally what's happening. God makes his appeal to humanity through you and through me. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So I think when we look at, we look at Paul's life and his calling and what he begins to say about our calling, I, think, I do think it's pretty clear that we're called by God if we're followers of Jesus to be ministers of reconciliation. But I, but I do think there's a lot of misconceptions that pop up. And I know for me there is, whenever I hear that word calling, there's a lot attached to it from my history, being raised in the church and things like that. So when I hear the word calling, immediately what pops in my head is the picture of a pastor on stage preaching. Right? They're, oh, they're called to ministry. So you think of, you think of Pastor Jeff Martell, like our, our pastor here for a second. And we're like, yeah, well, Pastor Jeff, I mean, he's a really, really good teacher. He's a really good speaker. He's a good communicator. Like, Pastor Jeff is called to ministry. He's called to ministry. I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. Pastor Jeff is called to ministry. But so are you. And so am I. We're all called 
to be ministers of reconciliation. Another, another thing that pops up in my mind, maybe an obstacle or a misconception, is this idea that, that, that God has never appeared to me in a burning bush before. I don't know if he's appeared to you in a burning bush, but it hasn't happened to me yet, maybe someday. But God is like never, he's never come down. I haven't seen him in my coffee cup. He hasn't audibly spoken to me and said, this is what I want you to do, right? Like I've heard it put this way before. I've heard it said, you know, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Just waiting on the Lord. And there are certainly times that we should wait on the Lord, right? But this isn't one of them. God has made our calling very clear. And if we look at we look at Paul and we look at if we would go further into his story and see the difference from Saul to Paul, he was unbelievably aggressive in this calling. So God gave him a clear and compelling calling to be his chosen instrument to share his word with those people around him, that he was so aggressive with that and chasing down that calling and working towards it that the Holy Spirit actually had to stop him one time and say, Paul, whoa, 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 wait a minute, man. Let's just calm down for a second. We're not going to go this way. We're going to go this way. But he would not be stopped because the calling that God had placed on his life was so clear and he believed it at such a deep level. And I think that's what it is for us, guys. I know when we, especially for those of us who have been raised in the church, and we hear things like, oh yeah, I know that verse. I'm supposed to be a minister of reconciliation. I could even, I could even quote that verse, you know, in Bible trivia. But what happens, though, a lot of times, I know this is true for me, those things I know have never moved to things that I believe. So I know that I'm a minister of reconciliation. I know that God has called me to affect the people around me and lead them towards him. But I don't believe it in a lot of ways. And we have to work at believing that. Believing that God has a specific plan, purpose, and calling on each and every one of our lives. He has a specific plan, purpose, and calling on your life and my life. Let's look at another passage real quick. This is Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, and we'll look at verses 8 through 10. And this is also the Apostle Paul teaching in this passage, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Let's listen to what he writes here. He says this, For it is by grace, that means it's all Jesus, none of us, you have been saved through faith. That's our belief. And this is not from yourselves. It's nothing we've done. It is the gift of God. It's something that God gave us freely. Not by works, so nothing we've done so that no one can boast or brag about it. And this is what I want us to key on, this last verse here, verse 10. It's overlooked a lot of times. Listen to what it says. Remember, this is Paul, so think about his story behind this, how he was Saul, he was going after Christians, and he was changed to Paul and given a new calling in life. Verse 10, for we, that's you and that's me, are God's handiwork. Some translations say God's workmanship. We're his piece of art. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we are God's workmanship, or we're his handiwork. We're something God has specifically created and designed for a specific plan and purpose and calling in life. And if you believe that, if we believe that, it changes everything. Not if we just know it, but if we believe it. If we wake up in the morning and we see ourselves as called to the people around us, it changes everything. Things will be different. 
You guys ever been in one of those situations before where all of a sudden you're confronted with something that's very important and you realize it's way out of your league? So something pops up in your life and you're like, oh man, that needs done. Somebody should go like do that. And then you kind of look around for a minute, you look to the left and the right and up and down and everywhere. And you're like, man, who's going who's gonna to do that? Somebody should do that. And then after some time, you finally realize that it's you, that you're the one that has to do it. I know for me, I've experienced that like in playing sports. Maybe you guys have. So you're, you're sitting there and you're on the bench and the coach looks at you and points at you and he's like, get in the game. And you're like, oh man, I am not ready for this. Or you're in the huddle and the quarterback looks at you and he's like, we're calling the play for you. And you're like, "Uh uh-oh. Or it's the last second of the basketball game and the coach calls the play for you to take the shot at the end of the game. It's something that's, that's bigger than you. It's over your head. Or maybe it's, maybe it's the new promotion at work that you've been wanting, and you get it, and then you realize, oh, man, I don't, I don't know if I can handle this, right? There's many times, I'm sure for all of us in our lives, that we've, we've experienced things like that. And we look around, and we're hoping someone else will step in and do it. And then we realize that we're the person to do that. And I think it's like that for us with our calling, guys. So you think about Jesus. He came to this earth. He was Emmanuel. He was God with us. He came to, came to our planet, stepped into our shoes, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried, rose from the grave, went around and visited some people, and then what did he do? He left. He went back to heaven. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, he left his followers, his disciples. He left you, and he left me to restore a lost and broken world back to him. That's our calling, guys. When you think about it, who are the ambassadors to the people in your natural path of life? Who are the ambassadors to your family? Who are the ambassadors to your friends? Who are the ambassadors, the people that are going to share the message of Jesus with your coworkers? Who are the ambassadors with your neighbors across the street? It's you, and it's me. That's the calling God has given us. A couple questions I want to ask real quick. First one is this, extremely, extremely simple, but a very big deal. Do you see yourself as called? Deep down in your soul, in your heart, do you see yourself as called? Have you embraced that yet? Have you let that sink into a heart level? That that is why God has left you on the planet. Do you see yourself as called? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can use you to transform your friend's marriage? Do you believe that God could use you to help your coworker overcome addiction? Do you believe God could use you to lead that family member or friend to Christ? Do you believe that? Do we believe that? Are you afraid? Do you lack courage? I lack courage all the time. I'm just like you. All the time. I'm scared. I'm overwhelmed. I lack courage. But when we step out in faith, when we go out on a limb, when we believe what Jesus says about us and step out in faith, God always shows up every single time. I just want to do a couple simple, very simple challenges for us, and then we'll start to close. First one is this. 
I just want, to, want you to simply write down a couple names. So when you think about the people in your natural path of life that are far from God, who's popping to mind? As we've been, as we've been talking tonight, who's been popping up in your mind? So maybe just take a minute and write down like one, two, three names, something like that. You can do it on the program. You can do it on your hand. You can do it on your iPad, on your phone. But as we've been talking for a little bit tonight, who has popped in your mind? Who's in your natural path of life that is far from God? And then the second thing I challenge you to do, simply this. Just begin praying for them on a regular basis. Begin praying for them on a regular basis. And when you pray, pray specifically for them. Think about the situations that are going on in their life and the circumstances of their life and ask God to use those circumstances to lead them to to Him. And then also pray for opportunities to talk to them, to share the story of Jesus with them. So write down a few names and begin praying. And if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe it's been a while, maybe you've just been disconnected, and you're looking for purpose in life, and you're asking, what is life about? What's the point? This really is it. The calling God has placed in our lives is what life is all about. The simple life isn't always the easy life, but it is the good life. There's something amazing that happens when we step out in faith and allow God to work through us to reach the people around us. All of us, all of us in this room tonight, we're going to spend our lives on something. All of us are going to give our lives to something. What could happen if each and every one of us in this room committed and embraced the calling that God has placed in our lives. What could happen? What could happen with your family? What could happen if you embraced your calling and were the minister of reconciliation to your family? What could happen in your neighborhood? What could happen at your work? Whose lives could be changed? Who could you lead to Jesus if we embrace that calling? What could happen in Barberton, Ohio? We're sitting in Barberton right now. What could happen in Barberton, Ohio? Just the people in this room tonight if we embrace the calling God has given us, stepped out in faith, and lived as ministers of reconciliation, what could happen in your town, wherever you live? Whose lives could be changed? Whose lives could be restored? And who could come to know Jesus as their Savior? Last thing, guys. God can use you. I promise you that. God can use you. Look at Paul. He murdered Christians. And God grabbed a hold of his life, changed it, gave him a calling, and he was unstoppable. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, what kind of sins you committed. God can use you, and he'd love to do that. That's what he does. If we don't embrace our calling, our lives will be ordinary. Let's not settle for ordinary. Let's live the lives that God has called us to.